Have you ever been traveling overseas, logged into your favorite streaming service, and realized ah, your favorite show isn't there? Different countries have different streaming rights, so just because you can watch Breaking Bad at home doesn't mean you can watch it overseas. Well, with Surfshark, you can. Surfshark is the VPN that I use every single day. I simply choose from one of their 3,200 plus servers in 100 countries and get back to watching the favourite shows that I love. Use the link in the description or the episode notes to get Surfshark VPN today for as little as $2.30 per month on a two-year plan and get back to watching the shows that you love. We've all gone to websites only to be presented with a pop-up asking if we'll accept the cookies. Well, did you know that by accepting those cookies, you're allowing that website to collect data on you? These websites will then sell your information to data brokers, who will then create a digital profile of you which can be used by banks, advertisers, and scammers against you. Well, thanks to Incogni, you no longer need to worry about your data being stolen and sold. Incogni is a tool that will remove your data from these companies for you. All you need to do is sign up, allow Incogni to work for you, and they will contact data brokers on your behalf and guarantee that your digital ID is removed from the internet. Use the link in the description and episode notes and get a Cogni today for $6.49 per month on a year plan and protect your data and digital ID. Hello and welcome to the Essential Reads podcast. I'm Isaac and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of audiobooks from your favourite classic authors such as Orson Welles, Robert Louis Stevenson, John Steinbeck and many more. Come join me on this journey to help get these books to the masses in an easy, accessible way. Let's start. Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury Part 3 Burning Bright 5 Half an hour later, cold and moving carefully on the tracks, fully aware of his entire body, his face, his mouth, his eyes stuffed with blackness, his ears stuffed with sound, his legs prickled with burrs and nettles, he saw the fire ahead. The fire was gone, then back again, like a winking eye. He stopped, afraid he might blow the fire out with a single breath. But the fire was there, and he approached warily from a long way off. It took the better part of fifteen minutes before he drew very close indeed to it, and then he stood, looking at it from cover. That small motion, the white and red colour, a strange fire, because it meant a different thing to him. This, it was not burning, it was warming. He saw many hands held to its warmth, hands without arms, hidden in darkness. Above the hands, motionless faces that were only moved and tossed and flickered with firelight. He hadn't known fire could look this way. He'd never thought in his life that it could give as well as take. Even its smell was different. How long he stood, he did not know. But there was a foolish and yet delicious sense of knowing himself as an animal come from the forest, drawn by the fire. He was a thing of brush and liquid eye, of fur and muzzle and hoof. He was a thing of horn and blood that would smell like autumn if you bled it out on the ground. He stood a long, long time, listening to the warm crackle of the flames. There was a silence gathered all about that flame, and the silence was in the men's faces, and time was there, 
time enough to sit by this rustling track under the trees and look at the world and turn it over with the eyes as if it were held to the centre of the bonfire. A piece of steel these men were all shaping. It was not only the fire that was different, it was the silence. Montag moved toward this special silence that was concerned with all of the world. And they were, and then the voices began, and they were talking, and he could hear nothing of what the voices said, but the sound rose and fell quietly as the voices were turning the world over and looking at it. The voices knew the land, and the trees, and the city which lay down the track by the river. The voices talked of everything. There was nothing they could not talk about, he knew, from the very cadence and motion and continual stir of curiosity and wonder in them. And one of the men looked up and saw him, for the first, or perhaps the seventh time. And a voice called to Montag. All right, you can come out now. Montag stepped back in the shadows. It's all right, the voice said. You're welcome here. Montag walked slowly toward the fire, and the five old men sitting there, dressed in dark blue denim pants and jackets and dark blue shirts. He did not know what to say to them. Sit down, said the man who seemed to be the leader of the small group. Have some coffee. He watched the dark steaming mixture pour into a collapsible tin cup, which was handed him straight off. He sipped it gingerly and felt them looking at him with curiosity. His lips were scolded, but that was good. The faces around him were bearded, but the beards were clean, neat, and their hands were clean. They had stood up as if to welcome a guest, and now they sat down again. Montag sipped. Thanks, he said. Thanks very much. You're, you're welcome, Montag. My name's Granger. He, smiled at, he held out a small bottle of colourless fluid. Drink this, too. It'll change the chemical index of your perspiration. Half an hour from now, you'll smell like two other people. With the hound after you, the best thing is bottoms up. Montag drank the bitter fluid. You stink like a bobcat, but that's all right, said Granger. You know my name, said Montag. Granger nodded to a portable battery TV set by the fire. We've watched the chase. Figured you wind up south along the river. When we heard you plunging around out in the forest like a drunken elk, we didn't hide as we normally do. We figured you were in the river when the helicopter cameras swung back in over the city. Something funny there. The chase's still running. Other way, though. The other way? Let's have a look. Granger snapped the portable viewer on. The picture was a nightmare, condensed, easily passed from hand to hand in the forest, all wearing colour and flight. A voice cried, The chase continues north in the city. Police helicopters are converging on Avenue 87 and Elm Grove Park. Granger nodded. They're faking. You throw them off at the river. They can't admit it. They know they can hold their audience only so long. The show's gotta have a snap ending, quick. If they started searching the whole damn river, it might take all night. So they're sniffing the river for a scapegoat to end things with a bang. Watch. They'll catch Montag in the next five minutes. But, but how? Watch. The camera, hovering in the belly of a helicopter, now swung down at an empty street. See that? Whispered Granger. It'll be you. Right up at the end of that street is our victim. See how our camera is coming in, building the scene, suspense, long shot. Right now, some poor fella is out for a walk. 
A rarity. An odd one. Don't think police don't know the habits of queer ducks like that. Men who walk mornings for the hell of it, or for reasons of insomnia. Anyway, the police have had him charted for months, years. Never know when that sort of information might be handy. And today, it turns out, it's very usable indeed. It saves faces. Oh, God, look there. The men at the fire bent forward. On the screen, a man turned a corner. The mechanical hound rushed forward into the viewer suddenly. The helicopter lights shot down a dozen brilliant pillars that built a cage all about the man. There's Montag! The search is done! The innocent man stood bewildered, a cigarette burning in his hand. He stared at the hound, not knowing what it was. He probably never knew. He glanced up at the sky and wailing sirens. The camera rushed down. The hound leapt up into the air with a rhythm and a sense of timing that was incredibly beautiful. Its needle shot out. It was suspended for a moment in their gaze, as if to give the vast audience time to appreciate everything, the raw look of the victim's face, the empty street, the steel animal, a bullet nosing the target. Montag, don't move, said a voice from the sky. The camera fell upon the victim, even as did the hound. Both reached him simultaneously. The victim was seized by the hound and camera in a great spidering, clenching grip. He screamed. He screamed. He screamed. Blackout. Silence. Darkness. Montag cried out in the silence and turned away. Silence. And then, after a time of the men sitting around the fire, their faces expressionless, an announcer on the dark screen said, The search is over. Montag is dead. A crime against society has been avenged. Darkness. We now take you to the sky room of the Hotel Lux for half an hour of Just Before Dawn, a program of Granger Turned It Off. They didn't show the man's face in focus. Did you notice? Even your best friends couldn't tell if it was you. They scrambled it just enough to let imagination take over. Hell, he whispered. Hell. Montag said nothing, but now, looking back, sat with his eyes fixed to the black screen, trembling. Granger touched Montag's arm. Welcome back from the dead. Montag nodded. Granger went on. You might as well know all of us now. This is Fred Clement, former occupant of the Thomas Hardy chair at Cambridge in the years before it became an atomic engineering school. This other is Dr. Simmons from UCLA, a specialist in Ortega E. Gasset. Professor West here did quite a bit for ethics, an ancient study now for Columbia University, quite some years ago. Reverend Padover here gave a few lectures 30 years ago and lost his flock between one Sunday and the next for his use. He'd been bumming with us some time now. Myself, I wrote a book called The Fingers in the Glove, The Proper Relationship Between the Individual and Society. And here I am. Welcome, Montag. I don't belong with you, said Montag at last, slowly. I've been an idiot all the way. We're used to that. We all made the right kind of mistakes, or we wouldn't be here. When we were separate individuals, all we had was rage. I struck a fireman when he came to burn my library years ago. I've been running ever since. You want to join us, Montag? Yes. What have you to offer? 
Nothing. I thought I had a part of the Book of Ethoclastes and maybe a bit of Revelation, but I haven't even that now. The Book of Ecclesiastes would be fine. Where was it? Here. Montag touched his head. Ah. Granger smiled and nodded. What's what's wrong? Isn't that all right? said Montag. Better than all right. Perfect. Granger turned to the reverend. Do we have a book of ecclesiastes? One. A man named Harris in Youngtown. Montag? Granger took Montag's shoulder firmly. Walk carefully. Guard your health. If anything should happen to Harris, you are the book of ecclesiastes. See how important you've become in the last minute? But I've forgotten. Nope. Nothing's ever lost. We have ways to shake down your clinkers for you. But I've tried to remember. Don't try. It'll come when we need it. All of us have photographic memories, but spend a lifetime learning how to block off the things that are really in there. Simmons here has worked on it for 20 years, and now we've got the method down to where we can recall anything that's been read once. Would you like, someday, Montag, to read Plato's Republic? Of course. I am Plato's Republic. Like to read Marcus Aurelius? Mr. Simmons is Marcus. How do you do? said Mr. Simmons. Hello, said Montag. I want you to meet Jonathan Swift, the author of that evil political book, Gulliver's Travels. And this other fellow is Charles Darwin. And this one is Schopenhauer. And this one is Einstein. And this one here, at my elbow, is Mr. Albert Schweitzer, a very popular philosopher indeed. Here we all are, Montag. Aristophanes and Mahatma Gandhi and Gautama Buddha and Confucius and Thomas Love Peacock and Thomas Jefferson and Mr. Lincoln, if you please. We're also Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Everyone laughed quietly. It can't be, said Montag. It is, replied Granger, smiling. We're book burners too. We read the books and burnt them, afraid they'd be found. Microfilming didn't pay off. We were always traveling. We didn't want to bury the film and come back later. Always the chance of rediscovery. Better to keep it in the old heads, where no one can see it or suspect it. We're all bits and pieces of history and literature and international law, Byron, Tom Paine, Machiavelli, or Christ. It's here. And the hour's late. And the war's begun. And we're out here, and the city is there all wrapped up in its own code of a thousand colors. What do you think, Montag? I think I was blind trying to go at things my way, planning books and firemen's houses and sending alarms. You did what you had to do. Carried out on a national scale, it might have worked beautifully. But our way is simpler, and, we think, better. All we want to do is keep the knowledge we think we will need intact and safe. We're not out to incite or anger anyone yet. For if we are destroyed, the knowledge is dead. Perhaps for good. We are model citizens in our own special way. We walk the old tracks. We lie in the hills at night. And the city people let us be. We're stopped and searched occasionally, but there's nothing on our persons to incriminate us. The organization is flexible, very loose and fragmentary. Some of us have had plastic surgeries on our faces and fingerprints. Right now, we have a horrible job. We're waiting for the war to begin, and, as quickly, end. 
It's not pleasant, but then we're not in control. We're the odd minority, crying in the wilderness. When the war's over, perhaps, we can be of some use in the world. Do you really think they'll listen, then? If not, we'll just have to wait. We'll pass the books on to our children, by word of mouth, and let our children wait, in turn, on the other people. A lot will be lost that way, of course, but you can't make people listen. They have to come round in their own time, wondering what happened and why the world blew up under them. It can't last. How many of you are there? Thousands on the road, the abandoned rail tracks tonight. Bums on the outside, libraries inside. It wasn't planned at first. Each man had a book he wanted to remember, and did. Then, over a period of twenty years or so, we met each other, traveling, and got the loose network together and set out a plan. The most important thing we had to pound into ourselves is that we were not important. We mustn't be pedants. We were not to feel superior to anyone else in the world. We're nothing more than dust jackets for books of no significance otherwise. Some of us live in small towns. Chapter 1 of Thoreau's Walden in Green River. Chapter 2 in Willow Farm, Maine. Why, there's one town in Maryland, only 27 people. No bomb ever touched that. It is the complete essays of a man named Bertrand Russell. Pick up that town almost and flip the pages. So many pages to a person. And when the war's over, some day, some year, the books can be written again. The people will be called in, one by one, to recite what they know, and will set it up in type until another dark age, when we might have to do the whole damn thing over again. But that's the wonderful thing about man. He never gets so discouraged or disgusted that he gives up in doing it all over again. Because he knows very well it is important and worth the doing. What do we do tonight? asked Montag. Wait, said Granger, and move downstream a little ways, just in case. He began throwing dust and dirt in the fire. The other men helped, and Montag helped, and there, in the wilderness, the men all moved their hands, putting the fire out together. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please like, comment, share, all that jazz. And if you really enjoyed, do subscribe, because there's more to come. We're properly winding down now. We've just, I think, maybe one chapter to go. I really hope you've loved this book as much as I have. It is beautiful and just gives so much importance to why books are so beautiful and needed. Once again, thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a review. And if you really want to support me, share this chapter with your friends, family, and whoever you feel would enjoy it. And if you really wish to support me, head to my Patreon. The link is in the episode notes. If you choose to follow the podcast, you'll have three new chapters per week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Once again, I thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye.